0: Welcome to the first Apostolic Church podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. A lot in Kings here lately, but I've been spending a lot of times in Kings reading the Word, and so. When that happens, things get birthed. Amen. meant from that. I want to read second Kings chapter number four. This is probably probably the most who's out here. I, I don't say this, you know, lightly. And I don't want to take for granted that maybe people are not familiar with particular stories of the Bible. But I would say that this is probably uh, one of those stories among like David and Goliath and Joan in the well and such that a story that people may have somewhat of familiarity with. And so with that being said, that causes a greater job on me and you not to disconnect because it's like I've heard this before Brother McGee. you know and so you're gonna have to indulge me tonight as I begin preaching because uh, I think it's important to tell the story even if the story's been told a hundred times for number one I don't always know my audience and there's times people that said in my audience that don't know the story and so uh, whether it's conference or whether it's home sometimes I just tell the story Amen again but second Kings chapter number four we're diving into this story a little further in but we'll catch up to speed as I begin tonight second Kings chapter four and verse number 30 the Bible says the mother of the child said this is this is the mother who is the Shunammite woman who uh, Elisha prophesied to that she would have a child and she did and he died and we'll go through all that here in a minute so I'm just kind of giving you a, a bird's eye flyover. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. Gehazi, that was Elisha's servant, passed on before them and laid the staff. This is what Elisha told him to do. Laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked, Verse 32, and when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Well, that's good. Verse 35, then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself up on him. So this is the second time he has done this. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her and when she was come in unto him, he said, take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground. And took up her son and went out. I don't have anything, in my opinion, deep and profound, but I think there are some lessons we can learn from these passages of scripture tonight for this topic I want to preach. Steps for reviving a dead promise. Steps. I am going to provide you with some steps for reviving. dead promise tonight has god ever promised anything to anybody here has god ever promised anything to us collectively as a church i want to preach tonight with the help and the guidance of scripture steps for reviving a dead promise can we go to the lord in prayer right now father i come to you lord you're able to help us god in this endeavor this evening god i know lord what you've laid upon my heart but god let there not be lord a disconnect from my heart to my mouth I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, God, give clarity, Lord Jesus, to what is spoken here. God, let it not fall upon deaf ears, O Lord, but God, upon ears that would be eager to hear. God, with the spirit, Lord, in your word, Lord Jesus is saying, God, to us individually and collectively tonight. I pray, O Lord, help us that when we leave this place, we will have, Lord, within the folds of our Bible, Lord, some highlights of steps, Lord, on reviving God's dead promises. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus name. If I may get us caught up in the story here this evening, indulge me just a little bit. The Bible speaks to us of the prophet Elisha and his servant Gehazi that there was on a particular day that they passed by the city of Shunem and there was this Shunemite lady that was there. It describes her of being a great woman. She seems to be a woman of substance or ability to house both Elisha and Gehazi. The Bible says as he passed by that she constrained him to come into her home and that she would feed him and take care of him. The Bible says that oft times Elisha would pass by the home of this great woman, and she come to a place that she was having a discussion with her husband and said, Husband, I perceive that this man that is continuously passing by here, that he is a holy man, that he is a man of God. It was at that moment that she decided that they should build a little chamber on their house for the purpose of housing the man of God and his servant putting everything within those quarters for the profit of what he might need, a bed, a candlestick, perhaps a little table and a stool for him. And as oft times as he would come by, that was there for him to stay in that chamber that she had made for him. It's on one of those visits and occasions that he had visited her that he spoke to Gehazi, his servant, and he's recounting all of the goodness and the kindness that this lady, she and her husband, had shown to them. And he says, Gehazi, I, I, I wonder, she's been so kind and so compassionate to us. I wonder if there is anything that, that we can do for her, if there's anything that we can do in exchange for the kindness and the care that she has given unto us. He says, why don't you call her into this place and see if there's anything. Maybe we could speak to a king for her. Perhaps we could do something uh, to get her attention to be known among people that it needs to be known that will help her in this life. And whenever nothing could be said and nothing per se could be spoken of or realized, Gehazi, his servant, picked up on something. He said, Elisha, he said, I think there's one thing that perhaps could be done for her. I I witness and I recognize that she has no child and that her husband is very old. And so Elisha had Gehazi called the woman into the room where he was staying. And he said, woman, he says, I want to tell you something. According to the time of life, next season around this year, he says, you shall have a son. Here's a lady that is... Uh, never had a child she has a husband that is old that's indicating to us that perhaps the biological clock is not working in their favor and now she hears the word that in a year's time or in the time that it would take to carry a child she's going to have a son. The Bible says she's overwhelmed with the news she's even telling Elisha do not lie to me concerning this matter and though she receives that into her bosom and according to the word of the Lord she indeed have a child according to the words of Elisha. The Bible says though that that child has grown so there's something I want you to start to make a connection with here tonight. That's just not her son that she had that's just not a child that she had but as it flowed from Elisha that was the promise that was given to her. And so the Bible says that the child had grown and it went out into the field with his fathers and on a certain day he began to cry out, my head and my head. And some servants sent him in to his mother. Something was going on to his head, uh, wrong with his head. And the Bible says that she took that child and placed it up on her lap and he sat there on her knees till noon and then he died. She took that lifeless body that lifeless son and boy might I say that lifeless promise took it into the chamber that she had made for the man of God laid that body and that promise out upon that bed and asked of her husband give me a servant give me a donkey so I can make haste to go see the man of God he says it's not new moon it's not the Sabbath why are you going he says she says everything's going to be well she makes her way to Elisha as she is approaching him he realizes that this is the woman that he had made the promise to concerning the son. He sends Gehazi. Is everybody doing alright? He sends Gehazi out to meet her. Ask if it's well with her husband. Ask if it's well with her child. And her word back to him seemed to be everything is well. But whenever she got to the man of God, the Bible says she falls down at his feet. And she grabs a hold of his feet. And Gehazi's like, no, we don't need to be doing this. And Elisha says, no he says just leave her alone he said I did not realize what was happening in her life God didn't show it to me but there's something going on she begins to explain to the man of God the thing that you promised me is now dead the thing that you said was mine that boy he's now dead he's back at the house and the Bible says a man that Elisha spoke to Gehazi. He says, Gehazi, take my staff and go to where the child is laying and lay my staff upon the child's face. I want to tell you tonight, the first step for reviving the dead promise is this, recognizing that the promise needs more than comfort. He says, you take my staff and take the staff into where the dead child, the dead promise is, and lay it upon its face. Verse 31 speaks that. But we understand letting scripture interpret scripture. David in the blessed shepherd Psalm of 23. And Brother Mason, you mentioned it even in the back tonight that the Bible says that his rod and his staff shall come. Comfort him and that might serve well for comfort for someone that's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but this promise is already dead. This promise at this moment in time. The Bible says Gehazi lays the staff on it. There's no voice. The child doesn't awake. He doesn't come from his place of deadness to being alive. He goes back and tells Elisha. He says Elisha it did not awake. There was no life because the dead promise didn't need comfort at this point in time. The dead promise needed revive. Someone say amen. What are you saying tonight, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. Too many times our cures do not match the diagnosis. Amen. The objective here is not to make the dead promise comfortable. Right. Oh, God. Someone say Amen. amen. The purpose is not to make the dead promise comfortable. The objective is to get the promise living again. Let someone say living again. Amen. We're laying too many staffs on the things that we need to be laying our lives on as we'll find out here in a moment. We can't allow the dead promise to get comfortable and just assume, well, it's all right. It's not living anymore. It's not gonna take place. It's not gonna happen. We'll just give it a little anesthetic, so to speak, and we'll all just be numb to the idea That it's dead. No. What that dead promise needs is a revival. What that dead. Hallelujah. 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 Someone say amen it needs some lives laid upon the promise sometimes once twice three times it doesn't matter whatever is necessary to revive it but then the Bible says uh, after he heard the news of the staff not working that Elisha went to where the dead child was he went up into that chamber that he was so familiar with and you'll look in verse number 33 the second step for reviving a dead promise so number one you need to recognize it needs more than comfort and number two you need to recognize you need to shut the door on it and you the Bible says in verse 33 he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain. someone say amen because I'm telling you there are times the only way a dead promise will revive is if you get shut in the room with it and removed or at least minimize all other distractions. <laughs> because whenever Elisha went into that room and he shut the door, at that moment, nothing else had the prophet's attention except the lifeless boy before him on the bed. No, no. it didn't matter where his next meal was coming from it didn't matter what Gehazi was doing it didn't matter where he needed to get to next all that mattered was the lifeless promise laying on the bed and so he shut the door because he says I don't need anything else to distract me at this moment in time my focus and my attention needs to be on the lifeless promise that's laying right before me someone say amen you gotta shut the door the Bible says in 2 Kings 4 And verse 4, we see this idea or concept of shutting the door over and over through God's word. The Bible says, this is the word of the Lord. When thou art come in, amen, this is Elijah, I believe it is. When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels. Thou shalt set aside that which is full. Someone say amen. Amen. This is Elisha. actually in another episode, a widow has the creditors that are coming. She has a debt that needs to be paid. She says they're coming to take my two sons because I don't have money to to pay the debt. Hey man, and Elisha asked her, what do you have in the house? She says, I don't have anything save a pot of oil. But the miracle of the lady with the lone pot of oil and it multiplying happened for her and her sons. When they shut the door. When they shut the door and focused on what they needed. Someone say amen. They shut the door and focused on what they even had. Though it wasn't much. And what they needed. What are they trying to do? The man of God was wise. He said you guys need to get behind a closed door with what you got. Vying for what you need. And you need to minimize all distractions you got to focus on you need more oil in the pot you need to focus on there needs to be more money in the home in order to pay off the creditors so your boys ain't taken in other words you need to get in a place where nothing else is going to compete for your attention or your time if it's not connected to the promise that's not where your focus needs to be right now it needs to be it needs to be upon what you need promises stay dead when we allow our attention to be pulled away from the dead promise. Dead promises are not revived when we allow lesser things to draw us away, to cause our focus to be shifted from where it really needs to be. When the promise is dead, here's the fact of the matter. This is simple. I don't have anything profound, but when the promise is dead, and reality, nothing really else matters. The Bible says, look at it. Look at Luke chapter number eight and verse 52. What happens here in New Testament scripture? The Bible says Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus. Someone has come told him that his 12 year old daughter has died as he's going. There's a lady that's had an issue of blood for 12 years, touches the hem of his garment. There's an interruption, but the Bible says whenever he gets to Jairus's house in Luke 8:52, that all wept, there were professional mourners that were there. There were people there mourning the death of this girl. Amen. The death of this child of Jairus, the Bible says, and all wept and bewailed her, but but he said, Jesus said, weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And these mourners, they left him to scorn. Knowing the Bible says she was dead. And Jesus puts them out. Jesus puts them out. And then just with he and Peter and James and John and her mom and dad there, shuts the door and takes that dead girl by the hand and calls saying unto her, Maid, arise. He says, if we're gonna get the dead living around here, we can't have anybody doubting that it can live again. He says, so I'm gonna put out all the doubters. I'm gonna put out all those that are laughing over the possibility that Jerry's daughter can come back to life because sometimes you gotta separate from those that are not favorable and not supportive of the vision or of the promised living again. Because it's a distraction for someone to say, I think we can do it and there's someone on the opposite end of the rope saying, I don't think it can happen. Sometimes you gotta sever ties with the naysayers and go on with the vision that God has given. You got to shut the door to revive a dead promise. Number three, you'll find in verses 33... And 34, in order to revive a dead promise, you need to pray and you need to stretch. The Bible says, Elisha prayed unto the Lord. And verse 34 says, he stretched himself upon the child. See, the act of prayer works real well with shutting the door. And minimize the distractions. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6. But thou, when thou prayest. Enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door. Whew. He says, pray to the Father which is in secret. And the Father which seeth in secret. Shall reward thee openly. Can I tell you the dead promise didn't come back to life in the public eye. But it came to life where a man said, I'm gonna shut the door, minimize distractions, just me and the deadness in the room. And I'm not, I'm not leaving till it's alive. Now look, look at this now. See, he He prayed. He didn't pray unto the Lord about the dead child. He prayed unto God about it. But the Bible says, look at this now, in verse 34, that he stretched himself upon the child. The Hebrew word here in our text, translated in our King James Version Bibles, as stretched, is the same word used to describe the prophet Elijah whenever he told Ahab, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And he went on the mountain and he placed his head between his knees, which notably, which notably is a position, customarily, a posture, if you will, of prayer, even to this day in certain segments of the world. And this is what the Bible says. Just take you back to it. Just want to connect the dots here. First Kings 18 and verse 42. This is Elijah. This is when he is assuming the posture that is even being spoken of of Elisha in our story. The Bible says, so Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down. That casting down, that phrase, is the exact same word. Amen. That is translated stretch for. Elisha, he cast him down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Elijah, in First Kings chapter 18, had told Ahab it's going to rain. But it had not rained for three and a half years. But Elijah spoke a promise. In the ears of Ahab, there is a sound of an abundance of rain. And so Elijah goes to the mountain, he casts himself down on the earth, he puts his head between his knees, he is in essence stretching himself for the purpose of seeing the promise, the promise that he spoke would come to pass. Someone say amen. In other words, in our text, when Elisha goes down to stretch. He's assuming that same position of casting himself down upon the ground. Yet he's casting himself upon the dead promise. He's taking his cue from his mentor because he wants to see a promise come to fruition in his life too. Look at it. If you look at the word stretched in the Hebrew, it's quite simple. It means to bend. It it means to crouch. If we look then just at the common English word stretch in our English dictionaries, I pulled two that I think would be applicable for us tonight. There's several definitions, but the first definition, number one, you know how they go. Number one in order is this. It means to draw out or extend oneself, a body, limbs, wings. I don't think anybody's angels here. But two, the full length, Or extend. The seventh definition in the list means this. To extend force or make serve beyond the normal or proper limits. Strain. In order for dead promises to live again. Not only do you need to pray. But you got to stretch yourself over your promise. you got to extend yourself. you got to make the full length. you got to serve beyond the normal proper limit. Someone say amen. See, Elisha learned the lesson well. I'm having a hard time with that tonight, ain't I? is learning the lesson well and has learned it from his mentor Elijah well. Because we look in 1 Kings 17 that Elijah had a point in time in his life he was dealing with the death of a son of a woman as well and the Bible says in 1 Kings 17 and verse 21 speaking of Elijah that he stretched himself upon the child a dead child again three times he cried unto the Lord praying and stretching and said oh Lord my God I pray thee let this child so come into him again so without doubt Elisha has learned some things from the generation before him To get dead things back to life, you need to be praying and stretching. Let me say this tonight. We can learn a lot from previous generations. I know we're a cutting edge and we are thinking progressively and all of that stuff, but you will not get beyond praying and stretching for dead promises. Oh, Bishop he's whatever 70 years old now he talks a lot and has a lot of garbage I kind of just you know filter it through my old personal filter there's a lot that that man says that is good and applicable for today's hour for dead promises it still takes praying and it still takes stretching to revive oh, yes you got to pray over dead things and you need to stretch yourself over them. Elijah prayed. And stretched over a dead widow's son of Zarephath three times. We are in the one-time mentality. This generation is in the one-time mentality. That if it doesn't happen the first time, forget it. Because number one, it's too much work. Lo and behold, if I would have any sweater, there'd have to be really real effort required of me. As it is in the world, so likewise, it's crept into the church. I, I'll do it once, but if it don't work, three times Elijah stretched himself over that dead widow's son, and then he revived. There's something here that's notable that the Bible would say that Elisha and Elijah, but look at Elisha, our text, that Elisha would have to extend himself or stretch himself over this child. Think here with me just for a moment. Evidently, the promise was bigger than Elisha. He stretched to get eye to eye. He stretched to get mouth to mouth. He stretched to get hand to hand. I know your King James Version Bible says it was a child, but the same word may be translated child, son, boy, or youth. I've seen a lot of young people that's been bigger than both their mom and dad in their teenage years. So I'm gleaning from scripture: if Elijah had to stretch, that the dead boy was bigger than he was, or that the promise. The promise was bigger than he was. And for a side note tonight, let me tell you this. Your promise should always be bigger than you are. God's vision for your life should always be larger than you are. But that should not keep you from stretching to measure up to its size and its capacity. Hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe if I drink some out of that, it won't move as much. That's my hypothesis. We'll see if it carries. Now Watch. Step number four for reviving a dead promise. You have walked with me here just a bit. Step number four, you got to decide. Listen to me very carefully. You got to decide whether you want a warm promise or a living promise. Elisha stretched himself upon the dead child the dead promise twice the first time he did it he arrived at the house he shut the door he prayed he stretched himself and the Bible says the child waxed warm but Elisha wasn't satisfied with a warm promise He says, I'm not opening the door to this room. Do I have a living promise? The Bible says the second time, he walked to and fro in the room. Before there was any stretching, he walked to and fro in the room. I got a warm promise over there. I've stretched myself I've extended myself I've taken myself beyond the limits he says and I got a warm promise but warm's not good enough I need a living promise a warm promise is not going to comfort this mama a warm promise is not going to get up out of the bed a warm promise is not going to have a future I I need a living he walks to and fro what are you doing what are you doing Elisha I'm getting my heart rate up. What are you doing, Elisha? I'm getting my body warm. Honey, they didn't have no defibrillator on the wall. You was looking at him. It was Elisha. I'm getting my heart rate getting 120, 140 beats because I'm going to lay up on him. My heart's going to be where his heart is. What? I'm getting warmed up here and I'm going to stretch. The Bible says he stretched himself upon the child again. Now this is just a real natural note but you know when metal or anything else gets warm it has more flex. Railroad tracks, they get longer as they get hotter. It's easier to stretch when things are warmed up. Some people can't match the, 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 the if you will, the, the gravity or the largeness of their promise because they're too lukewarm. The Bible says he stretched himself upon that child again and that child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes and he was living again. So you've got to ask yourself in these steps of reviving a dead promise, you've got to ask yourself, Do you want a warm promise or do you want a living promise? Because I tell you what, there's some people that's just just satisfied with the warm promise. But I'll go a step further. Are you listening? Go a step further. The difference in how warm or live we're willing to become is how far we are willing to stretch in order to move from the realm of warm promise to living promise. Step number five, here it is. We must recognize, recognize, you must be warmer than what you are trying to revive. You must be warmer than what you are trying to revive. Verse 35, what's Elisha doing? Walking to and fro in the house. Before he goes back up the second time to stretch himself on the child. Some conjecture that laying his body on the body of the dead child would help transfer heat from him to the dead corpse. Listen to me. Scientifically, what they call caloric or natural heat in our body, when accumulated, in any particular part of our body, it will diffuse itself to all bodies which it comes in contact with till the temperature of what you come in contact with equals your own. In other words, really that's the only reason why something feels hot. If I touch someone and say, oh, they, they feel hot. You know what it means? They feel cooler than I am. But what's happening is a transition of their heat to my cool body. And that's where I get that, that feeling that, man, that's warm because there's a transfer of heat that's coming to me and they will say my hand is cool this is chemistry they will say my hand is cool because the moment that I touch them there is a cooling effect because my coolness is going to then. it's trying to find an equilibrium of both being the same temperature but the only way they both can be the same temperature one has to cool down and the other has to heat up but you can't heat anything up That's warmer than you are. So what they're telling us is, whenever you have this natural heat, all this heat in the body, this natural heat, it goes out into the surrounding air. We understand that when it's cold or warm outside, there's that transition that's taking place. But when there's bodies that are joining next to each other, that temperature will come to a place, if they stay together, of being completely equalized. Elijah says, I'm going to lay on him. He laid on him and he got warm. Elijah said, I had enough heat to get him warm, but I'm going to have to do something about me to get him warmer. You know what that meant? He says, I can't just lay right back down and there be any transference. He says, I got to do something about Elisha to get him warmer before I go touching this body again. Sometimes dead bodies ain't coming to life because we're colder than the dead. What are you doing, Elisha? I'm going to and fro. I'm going, to, honey, none of that hurts any of us. It'd do good for some of us to go a little bit of to and a little bit of fro and start heating up, if you will, the spiritual heat. Amen. The spiritual, if you will, temperature of our life, so that we might stretch ourselves on the dead promises and not just see them warm, but brought back to life. Some would say man. And yes. God is the only one that can give life. But he used Elisha as a means to accomplish it. So prayer is not to be overlooked. It's important. But I will tell you this. Prayer shouldn't be acting alone either. You need to pray. And you need to stretch yourself. You need to pray. You need to go to and fro. And you need to increase your supernatural heat. So that it might be conveyed to the cold, dead promise that is laying before you. You must, and I want this to be embedded in your heart and your mind. You must be warmer than the promise that you're trying to bring back to vitality. Because the dead can't raise the dead. Number six step. I didn't tell you how many steps there were because I didn't want anybody counting along the way. The next step for reviving a dead promise is that you must only open the door to living promises. Elijah shut the door on him and the boy, but he didn't open the door when the promise was warm, he opened it when it was living. When we open doors on warm promises, we're opening doors prematurely. We need to be shutting the door. Thank God that they're warm. But it's not where it needs to be quite yet. We need to keep the door shut. And we need to be attempting. What can I do to get hotter? Before I lay back down on this promise. The only time you see him opening the door is when the boy's eyes have opened. It's at that point in time. He says, Gehazi, go call mama and have her come here. Because the dead promise is not just a warm promise, but it's a living promise right now. Someone say amen. Some of us have just shut the door on the dead promise and said, that's fine. We've not went searching for any help. We've not went searching for any resolution. We have just grown content with dead promises behind closed doors. But Elisha says, I'm not content with it. So much so, I'm not opening up until there is a change here. Until there's an alteration here, I am trying to urge these people tonight. Set it at the sound of my voice. If God has spoken a promise in your life and it is presently lifeless, don't leave it behind a closed door by itself. Get behind that door with that promise and don't come out till you both come walking out. Get behind that closed door. And if it requires days, one time, two times, three times of walking back and forth and getting some heat yourself, then do what you need to do. If it doesn't happen after the first prayer, pray again. Someone say amen. If you'll stand, I'll try to bring this here. I'll try to bring this if you'll stand. Steps for reviving a dead promise. Number one, recognize it needs more than comfort. Number two, shut the door. Number three, pray and stretch. Number four, decide whether you want a warm promise or a living promise. Number five, recognize you must be warmer than what you're trying to revive. Number six, open doors only to living promises. Number seven, I close with this. This isn't so much as a step as it is a promise. If you will help restore the dead promise, it will restore things back to you. This same woman that had received her boy to life again was urged by Elisha. He says, there's going to come a famine in the land, lady. It's going to be in the land for seven years. It's going to ravage the land for seven years with famine. It's going to just be horrid. He says, you need to remove yourself and go somewhere to get out from under these years of famine that's coming on the land. She followed the advice of the man of God. She left for a period of time of seven years as the famine ravaged the land that her and her boy was so familiar with. And the Bible tells us at the end of those seven years that she and that now living promise comes back to the land that they were acquainted with. And as they are returning, you've got to understand, they've been gone for seven years. And so this lady, the desire of her heart, and no doubt the heart of her son, is that they want to return to the house that they had seven years ago. And they want the land that they had seven years ago and so she starts to meagerly approach the king of her land and as she approaches the king Gehazi the servant of Elisha is having conversation with the king and says these words in 2 Kings 8 and 4 and the king talked with Gehazi the servant of the man of God's hand. Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. And it came to pass as he was telling, Gehazi, that is, was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life. That behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for land. So you understand what's happening here? Gehazi has been asked of the king tell me all about everything Elisha's ever done he said well there was one time that he brought a dead boy back to life Let put it in our terms tonight there was one time he brought a dead promise back to life and while he's talking about that the very lady who had once had the dead promise is now walking in with the living promise and he cried to the king for her house she comes crying at this same juncture She cries to the king for her house and for her land. I've been gone seven years because of the famine, but I'm coming back and I want the house and I want the land. She's crying to the king about it. And Gehazi says, This couldn't happen any better. Remember, there's no random arrows from this morning. And Gehazi said, My Lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. This is what's dead was dead, but is living. Verse six, and when the king asked the woman, he wanted her take on the story. Tell me about how your dead promise came back to life. The Bible says when he asked the woman, she told him, now look what the king does. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer saying, restore all that was hers all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land even until now what are you saying brother McGee to me it seems that the contingency of her getting back her house and her land is due to what happened with her dead promise and the story that was being told to the king I'm here to tell this group of people tonight that only God knows the full benefit of dead promises coming back to life in your life. The story of this raised boy and greater than that, Brother Mason, the reality of him standing there You get what I'm talking about, Brother McGee? This was more than a story being told. There was proof in the pudding of a living boy standing right there as the conversation was going on. And so we have the story of a raised boy. We had the reality of his presence and all of that pricked the heart of the king that he says captains, servants, restoring to her her house, restoring to her her land. Everything she's lost. i tell you what's going on here is this. It's not that she just got her house and her land back. But everything that may have even come from her land in her time of not being there, she got. Why? Because a man of God, someone had enough interest in not being satisfied with a warm promise. A warm promise might not have had the same outcome. But a living promise did. So my promise or my persuasion for you tonight, number seven, I believe it is, is this. If you will help restore the promise, if you will help revive the promise, it will restore things back to you. Promise don't need your comfort. The dead promise doesn't need your coddling. Mama rocked the promise while it was ill. But it died on her lap. And when it died, she says, there's no sense in rocketing anymore. We got to get it revived. There is no use in carrying the little dead promise around and saying, well, God love it. Oh, I know what it was supposed to be. And I know what was said, And I know what, I oh, just comfort calling. You know, rub its little back. And no, 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 honey. If it's dead, it doesn't need comfort. It needs revival. Can we raise our hands all across this place tonight? I'm telling you right now this evening, if God's ever promised anything to you in your life, and it's right now lifeless and dead, you need to start going through the steps right now this evening of reviving a dead promise. Somebody needs to shut the door, somebody needs to pray, somebody needs to stretch. Come on, somebody needs to stretch, somebody's gotta make a choice tonight. Do I want a living promise or a warm promise? Somebody's got to get warmer and hotter than what they're trying to revive. Yes. Oh, let's sing to the Lord right now. God has the ability uh-huh. by commissioning you to revive some dead things. Yes. <laughs> and when they become alive again, they're going to bring restoration to your life. Let's be mindful of the Lord right now This altar is open Brethren Sister Mason right now Let's play, let's sing And let's be mindful of the Lord Thank you for listening If you would like more information About our services and activities You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter With the username FACMC Again that's FACMC Thank you and have a blessed day